Being a dad is so much fun. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. I hope you all got breakfast in bed, bacon and eggs. Um, So if you're joining us, we have been on this journey in the book of John, and we're coming to the end uh, of John. And it's kind of bittersweet when you come to the end of something. It's been an incredible journey, but there's also the excitement of what's coming next. Uh, So today we're looking at John 21. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, you want to open that uh, to John 21. And if you're joining us for the first time today, you might be wondering why on earth We have a fire pit on stage, and even if you've been coming for years and years, you might be wondering, why do we have a fire pit on stage? And secretly, you might be praying, please, Lord, don't let him start a fire. Um, But I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you smell something, or you taste something, or you see something, and it triggers this memory you have. Uh, For me, when I smell a charcoal fire, suddenly I'm 18 years old again. I'm I'm camping with a great bunch of mates. We're cooking the cheapest, nastiest piece of steak you can imagine, but it is just a beautiful memory. Or maybe you're a dad or Harold Kahn, and you just remind yourself that you're cooking a barbie, and you've got this piece of meat on the go, you've got the tongs in your hand, and you feel like you could conquer everything. This beautiful moment. But for some, that smell of, of burning wood might trigger a painful memory, maybe a hurt or a failure. So as some people might smell that burning sensation, it might remind them of the bushfires, it might remind them that they lost everything in that. Uh, For me, growing up, I spent lots of time with this family that were farmers, and their dad was also a lay preacher, and they had three sons in similar age to me, and we spent all our time on the farm. We would go fishing, we build forts, we chase monkeys. It was just good times. Uh, But one day, the oldest son took a box of matches from the kitchen, And we went up to one of the far ends of the farm, and of course, we started playing with matches. And at first, uh, we made a little fire, and we let it go, and it was very exciting, and then we managed to put it out, and we thought, oh, that wasn't wasn't too bad. Let's risk it some more. So we got some more wood and more sticks, and we lit that one, and then we thought, okay, that's getting big enough. Now let's put it out, and we couldn't. And the more we tried, the more it seemed to grow and grow, and very quickly it got out of control, and very, very quickly it got very, very bad. And before we knew it, there was this raging fire. And thankfully, some of the farm laborers, they saw the smoke, they saw the fire, they came running, they called the boy's father, he came up, the first thing he did was make sure he got all of us He took us back to the farmhouse, and then he went back to fight this fire with the farm laborers. And we sat watching from the farmhouse this fire just rage. Within a short time, it had totally destroyed all their citrus tree crops. But the worst was still to come. Because the boy's father later came back, and he got us together, and he was dirty and he smelled like smoke and he said boys 
What happened there? And the oldest son, he said, oh, we, we were just walking and we found it that way. And all of us just nodded in agreement. Yes, that's exactly how it happened. And like a wise, knowing father, when they sense something's wrong, he asked the question again, boys, what really happened out there? And this time, the youngest son, he couldn't hold it in anymore. He just blurted out, Dad, there was a box of matches, and we took them, and we played with fire, and then it started, and it was out of control, and we were done. We were done. And the father, he didn't get angry, but I remember this look of utter disappointment on his face. And I felt like we had failed him, right? We had failed ourselves. We had failed all the farm laborers who had to live with the consequences of our foolishness. Yahweh was a father who trusted us. And for me especially, they had taken me in and treated me like one of their own sons. And I felt like I had failed him. And you know, Simon Peter felt exactly the same way. The resurrected Jesus had already appeared to his disciples on two occasions. And now the disciples are just sitting around waiting. And Simon Peter is not a man who likes to wait. So he stands up and he says, I'm going fishing. And the other guys go like, yeah, okay, we'll come along. And they go out fishing. They fish all night on the far ends of the lake. And they catch nothing. It's not pleasant when a fisherman catches nothing. So they're coming in early hours of the morning. They're straining from a disappointing night's fishing. And there on the bank is this man. And he shouts out to them, Children, did you catch anything? Hey, kids, did you catch anything? Don't call a fisherman a kid. But he says, Hey, children, did you catch anything? And it's never nice to admit that you caught nothing. But they say, Yeah, we we got nothing. And then... He tells them how to fish. And I don't know if you've ever tried to tell a fisherman how to fish. Usually, it doesn't go down that well. And his solution is really simple. Guys, all I want you to do is take your nets and throw them over on the right-hand side of the boat. So these guys do this. They throw the net over on the right-hand side of the boat And a miracle happens. The fish come and just fill the net. And John the Apostle clicks. He goes, this is no ordinary man. It is the Lord. And Simon Peter, he's off, right? He puts back on his clothes. And it says he threw himself in the water. So you can imagine this big burly fisherman diving, belly flop in the water. And just 100 yard dash to get to the shore. He's so excited to be with Jesus. The other guys, they're also excited to see Jesus, but they just have this big net full of fish. So we'll do the sensible thing. We'll come in with a fish, and we'll get to see Jesus. And they all get to the bank, and Jesus invites them for breakfast. It's a very human thing to do, right? Except the guy who's making them breakfast only three weeks ago has been crucified, and he died. And dead people don't cook breakfast. But Jesus has defeated death. He's risen to life and he's cooking fish over a fire. So that's why it says, like, none of the disciples, they didn't even dare say, who are you? They 
knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. No more doubt, no more confusion. They knew. Everything Jesus said he would do, he'd done. Now Simon Peter comes face to face with Jesus. And the whole time he's eating breakfast, he's looking at this charcoal fire. Now, in the whole New Testament, the word for charcoal fire only appears twice. Once in this passage in John 21 and once in John 18. And for Simon Peter, the the smell and the sight of that fire would have reminded him of that other occasion when he was at the charcoal fire. And at that occasion... Jesus had just been arrested, and Simon Peter follows him, and he can't go in. So he's waiting outside, and he warms himself by a charcoal fire. And a little girl comes along, a servant girl, and she says to him, Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Simon Peter, no, 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 not me. Oh, I, I don't even know him. And he goes on to deny Jesus three times. Now, Jesus hasn't mentioned this incident so far, right? Jesus and Peter have met on at least two occasions since Jesus has been raised. And Jesus hadn't yet mentioned Peter's denial. And as you can imagine, Simon Peter's looking at this fire and it's weighing heavy on his conscience. And Jesus can see Peter longed to get that guilt out of his system. He, he longed to get it put right, to talk it through. So Jesus spoke to Peter. And this conversation, it's short, but it's incredibly deep. And it changes Peter. I think it's significant that some of the most profound conversations we have in our lives are not the longest. You see, Peter needed a clean conscience. And Jesus does this very tenderly. He didn't say to Peter, Peter, you scumbag. How you denied me three times. How could you? Instead, what he does is he says something three times. And it's as if Jesus is making sure every one of those three is an act where he's blotting out one of those denials. So that they were all clean, that they were all forgiven. So here we come to this conversation. John 15, verse 15, 21 verse 15. And unfortunately in English, it doesn't come across that clearly. Because in English, we have one word for love. And it can cover everything from the highest purest, most sacrificial, selfless love that there is, right down to the most simple form of love, a love for pizza. Now, the word Jesus uses for love is the Greek word agape. And it's different from the word that Peter answers with, which is the word phileo. Phileo, that's the word. And that is significant. I want you to imagine a young couple, and they've been dating for a while, and uh, the young lady's starting to wonder how the young man might be feeling about her. So she asks him, 
do you love me? And he answers, oh, yes, I like you. So he goes, hmm, okay. Um, do you love me? And he says, oh, yes, dear, you know that I like you. Um, do you just like me? Yes, dear, you know that I like you very much. And that's the feel of this conversation. Somehow the answers to the question don't rise to the question itself. And this is what happened between Jesus and Peter. Jesus asked, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? And Peter replied, yes, Lord, I phileo you. I like you. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And then Jesus says, Peter, do you just phileo me? Do you just like me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know I phileo you. Now, why didn't Peter just say, oh, Lord, yes, I love you. I agape you. Why did he say I phileo you? Because it would have been dishonest for Peter to say anything else. Because he had finally reached the point where he couldn't say something that was untrue. You see, throughout Peter's life, he had made big claims for himself. This big fisherman, very confident in himself. He goes, I will do this. Yes, I will stand with you, Jesus. And then he realized he couldn't live up to those claims. You know, and I can relate to Simon Peter. I've done the same thing he's done. On the day I got married, I looked at my beautiful wife and I said, oh, I take you to be my wedded wife from this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and health. I promise to love and cherish you every day. I promise to lay down my life for you every day. And I haven't always done that. There's been many, many times where I put myself before her thought of my own interest before her own. There's times that I failed as a husband. When I became a father, I said similar things to myself, right? I'm going to be an awesome dad. I'm always going to be kind and I'm always going to be encouraging. I'm always going to be there for my kids. I'm always going to be there putting them before myself. And I haven't always done that. There are many times I've failed as a dad. Uh, the Australian Institute of Family Studies found children spend relatively small amounts of time alone with their fathers. It showed children spend as little as 30 minutes alone with their fathers on weekdays, while on weekends that amount increased to 45 minutes. As part of the study, parents were asked if they enjoyed spending time with their children and it found mothers were far more likely to answer yes. Guys, what this study is saying, that as dads, we're far more likely to spend time on our hobbies, our interests, rather than with our kids. And the time we do spend with our kids, we're not really enjoying that time because we're thinking about what we really want to be doing. Now, I know that this doesn't apply to everyone. It doesn't apply all the time. But if I'm honest, I've been that father. 
There are many times I want to do what I would rather do. I want my alone time. I want to focus on my hobbies and myself rather than being the dad I should. So I can relate to Simon Peter. You know, we all have a public life, a private life, and also a secret life. Our public lives, everyone sees. It's our Sunday moments, right? When we put our best foot forward. It's our social media profiles that are these two-minute highlight reels of our lives. And then we have our private lives, which those closest to us see. Maybe close friends or family. They see what we like in the good times, the bad times, the highs and the lows. And they see nearer to what we really like. But if we're honest, we have a secret life as well, which we don't want anybody to see. It's our thought life. It's our internet browser history. It's those things that we really think about people, but we wouldn't dare say it to their face. It's what we do in darkness and in secret. And now, for Peter, only three weeks before this incident, he had made these bold claims. Lord, these other disciples, they might run away. Not me. I'm with you. I'll even go with you to the death. That's me, Jesus. You and me, I've got your back. I love you more than anyone, Jesus. But you know, Simon Peter worked out very quickly that he hadn't done any of those things that he claimed he would do. He didn't follow Jesus to death. Instead, what he had to do is deny him three times. So Jesus asks him the first time, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now what Jesus is doing, he's asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than my other disciples love me? And if you notice Peter's answer, he doesn't say more than these. He just says, Lord, I phileo you, I like you. So Jesus leaves out the more than these, and he takes a step closer to Peter, and he says, all right, Peter, I'll leave out the more than these, but do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, I like you very much. And Jesus takes another, even closer step to Peter, and he goes, all right, Peter, do you like me? And Peter's answer can be paraphrased like this. He goes, Lord, I can't hide anything from you. You know me. You know my secret life. You know everything about me. You knew I was going to deny you even before I did. I'm not going to say anything further than what is true. Say, yes, Lord, I do phileo you. I do like you. But to say that I agape you, when I've let you down as I did, I can't bring myself to say that. But I want you to notice how Jesus responds to Peter's answers. It's this beautiful moment because in it, Jesus is doing this wonderful thing. Jesus is putting everything right because as he answers 
Peter's reply, he says, look after my sheep. Look after my flock. It's in other words, he's saying, Peter, all I want from you is an honest relationship. Then I'm going to recommission you to look after my sheep. I'm looking for someone who knows their own heart accurately and genuinely is going to follow me. So tend my sheep. Look after my lambs. Jesus is simply asking for a genuine relationship. A person who's humble enough to know their own heart, know that they don't have it all together, to know that they are broken and they are honest about their failures, that they've let others down, that they've let themselves down, that they've let the Lord down. But they also know that they're able to come to Him and in His grace, He is able to forgive you In his strength, he's able to take our brokenness. He's able to take our proud hearts. And he's able to make them like his. You see, Jesus very carefully wiped out those three denials and he replaced them with three acts of trust in Peter. Peter, I'm going to leave you with my sheep. I'm going to change you from a fisherman to a fisher of men. Peter, did you get the lesson I showed you this morning? How you were out in the boat and you're trying to do things your way and it didn't really work out so well and then you listened to me and what happened, Peter? Your nets overflowed. When you just listen to me, Peter, and follow me, that's all I'm asking from you. And then Jesus speaks to Peter about his future. You see, the real trouble all along with Peter was that there was too much self, right? He had done what he wanted to do. He had gone where he wanted to go. And Jesus says, when you were young, you did what you wanted to do. You, did where, you, did, you, you went where you wanted to go. And that had been the real problem. Every time Jesus had tried to do something for Peter, Peter had tried to help Jesus out and tell him, no, 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 you're not doing it quite right. You, you need to do this. Simon Peter's always trying to push in his own ideas. Simon Peter, I need to wash your feet. No, 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 Jesus, what you really need to do is wash all of me, wash my head, wash my hands. And Jesus says to him, Peter, a day is coming when you are older, where you will go where you don't want to go. And they will stretch out your hands And they will carry you someplace you don't want to go. And Peter knew that that meant only one thing. That kind of future meant he would die on a cross. Can you imagine just for a moment living with that knowledge? For the rest of Peter's life, he lived with the knowledge that he was going to die an agonizing, painful death on a cross. But it did one thing for Peter. It killed his self-will. Because it takes a cross to kill self. And tradition has it, when it came time for Peter to be crucified, just like Jesus said he would, Simon Peter said, no. No, not that way. Upside down, please. See, this is not the old Peter coming up. I want to outdo everyone. I want to do it a different way. This is a Simon Peter who's finally broken. It's a Simon Peter who's died to himself long before it's time to die on the cross. 
Because Simon Peter realized it's not about me. It's not my strength. It's his strength now. So they hung him upside down. They put him on a cross head first into the socket. And Peter died humbly for Jesus. You know that charcoal fire had reminded Peter he was a failure. But Jesus uses that same thing, the same place, a charcoal fire, as a place of redemption. From that day on, whenever Peter came across a charcoal fire, he would have reminded him this was the place he was put right with Jesus. This was the place where Jesus recommissioned him, telling him to fend and tend his sheep. It's the same place Jesus didn't cast him aside, but said, no, Peter, come and follow me. <clears throat> the very place that should have reminded Peter he had blown it, that he was, a, he was a failure, became a place where it told Jesus, you are, it told Peter, you are forgiven, you are clean, and you are loved. You know, for me, um, months after we had played with those matches on the farm and all the damage that we had caused, the father got us all together. And he took us for a walk back to the far end of the farm where the fire had taken place. And we hadn't gone back there since I think we knew it would remind us of what we had done and we felt guilty and we felt shamed. And when we got there, I was expecting a lecture on, on the damage we had caused and not to do it again and the reasons why. But that's not what happened. You see, it was a very godly and wise father and he got us boys together and he said boys what do you see and where there had been nothing but black charred earth and the smell of smoke now there was green everywhere right there was life everywhere you could smell the newness of life now that fire had come at a huge personal cost to their dad all the income that they had lost. But he gave us this beautiful picture of the cross. You see, that cross, that was meant to be disappointment. It was meant to be pain. And it was meant to be death. And when Jesus went to the cross, the hopes of many were gone. He was supposed to save us. But now he's dead. He was supposed to be our rescuer, our deliverer from the Romans. And at first, so much hope finished at the cross. But Jesus wasn't finished at the cross. Because that very thing that was meant for death, disgrace, and failure, he turned into life, grace, and victory. You see, three days later, Jesus rose from the grave conquering death itself. Guys, you thought the deliverance that you needed was freedom from the Romans? What really you needed was a much greater deliverance, a much greater need that you have, and that is a deliverance from sin and death itself. That's why when the disciples saw him, they knew it was the Lord. They had been with him 
three years, they had heard all that he was going to say. They had heard him say, I am going to suffer and die. And then they had seen him suffer and die. And they had also heard him say that he was going to raise to life again. And now here he was cooking them breakfast. Friends, Jesus knows everything. He knows everything you've ever thought, everything that you've ever said, everything that you've ever done. He knows. He knows you've failed. So this morning, I don't know what your charcoal fires are. I don't know what your failures are. I don't know if you just put on this brave front and pretend it's not really that bad. Or maybe your life just seems to be a constant reminder of your failures. I want you to hear this this morning. This is the offer of a risen Jesus. Follow me. Come to the cross. Let me take your failure. Let me take your guilt and your shame and your pretending. And let me give you life. And let me give you my righteousness. Follow me and rest in what I've done for you. Friends, that is the calling this morning. That is the message of John 21. Will you hear it? Will you stand with me as we worship this King? We worship the one who died and rose again. We worship the only one who can take away your sin. We worship the only one who is steadfast in all he does. We worship the only one who never fails. We worship the one who conquered death and offers us new life. Will you stand with me? I'd love to pray with you. And let us worship the King of Kings. Lord Jesus, just as your disciples met you that morning, Lord God, we bring our failures before you. Lord, I bring my failures before you. Lord, you know each and every one of them. Lord, I thank you for the grace. I thank you for the truth of the cross that sets us free, free from sin and death and shame. Lord, I pray that as a people, we would hear your tender call. We would understand your grace again to us this morning. We would understand that you are able to take the worst things we've done and you're able to wash them and make them clean. You're able to recommission us and send us out to serve you. Lord God, we can only cry out to you and say thank you. Thank you that you are the King of kings. You are worthy and you've done everything that you said you would do. Lord Jesus, we love you and we come humbly before you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.